welcome back, pop culture theologians. It's me, your homeboy, John, um, here to chat with you about the latest episode of His Dark Materials, episode four, titled Armor. Oh boy, we've got a lot to talk about. It was probably my favorite episode so far of the series, but I'm so excited that you are back with us to break down everyone's favorite thing, pop culture, with us, the pop theologians. So just a little bit about us, just to make sure that you're up to speed with all the knowledge, is that um, myself, John Erickson, um, I have a PhD in religion, as well as my main HBIC, Marcy. She is about to finish her PhD in religious studies. We are two theologians, grad students. Well, I'm an ex-grad student, scary enough to say, but all people that are here and ready to worship at the altar of pop culture theology. And we love breaking down some of the shows that we constantly talk about. And this show is just fueling every bit of everything I love about, about pop culture and why I really got into my academic field. So make sure you're going online um, and following us on Twitter at pop theologians, as well as on Facebook at pop theologians. We have a mean gif, uh, gif, sorry, that's a sin, right? When I call it the gif, uh, gif game. Um, and so we've got a lot to go on there and we've got a lot to discuss today, but um, those are some importance because like, honestly, if it doesn't happen on Twitter, does it happen anywhere? That's actually like a really philosophical question I'm trying to ponder. And I think the answer is no. But if you want to shout out me, um, shout out at me on social media as well, you can follow me at jerickson85 on Twitter. And Marcy, my main girl who isn't here at the moment, but she'll be back. You can shout her, um, at her um, in a nice voice, of course, at I am the men who can, which is a Wonder Woman reference. So take to the social media, let us know what you think about the recaps, the show, everything, Lin-Manuel Miranda's, I just said that horribly wrong, but whatever, singing on the show, we're here for it all. But like with every episode that we've started, um, we are talking about some of our favorite young adult literature that's going on that is out there right now that's having a resurgence that is just so amazing because of the deep and rich material that's out there. And so this week, I really want to talk to you about a book that is near and dear to my heart. That is um, an amazing book that I discovered when I was in high school, I believe. And I believe what it was, um, reading it on back from a camp trip, something like that. But it is So You Want to Be a Wizard by Diane Duane. It is just an incredible book, and I cannot speak more about it. It is a book series, actually. It's a book series um, in a series called The Young Wizards, and it currently consists of 11 books. Um, it was first written in 1982, but in 2012, it got revised and was published. But the plot follows a young wizard named Nita, a 13-year-old girl who discovers a book titled So You Want to Be a Wizard. Yes, it's one of those things where the title of the actual book is uh, actually talked about in the actual book. It's like when they say the title in TV shows. Um, and she finds it while hiding from bullies in the library. And as a result, 
all of this fun ensues and she discovers the art of wizardry and she as well as her friend kit rodriguez are just two of these individuals that helped shape a lot of my childhood i've always wanted it to become like a television show and if anyone from hbo is listening now's your chance because it's amazing but the book itself really taught me a lot about growing up um one of the books is just so incredible because they really start to explore some really serious issues such as death um and in the uh fifth book in the series called a wizard's dilemma you see nita have to deal with her mother's failing health and i remember exactly where i was when i finished that book i exactly remember the types of reactions I had. It is just an incredible book series. Um, I'm so lucky that more people are starting to kind of get more in touch with them and discover them because they are just incredible. And maybe one day, one day we'll have a television show about it and I'll be able to talk about it because there's this so many reoccurring characters, the world building, which all of you know is one of my favorite things in this entire uh, podcast that we're doing is I love it when people build beautiful just worlds that fit into this amazing narrative that they're setting. So go check out, buy it on Kindle. If you live in West Hollywood, I'll give you my own copy. Come read it. Talk to me about it. It's the Young Wizard series um, and the book, So You Want to Be a Wizard, that starts it all. So We've got a lot to talk about in this episode. It is finally introducing two of our favorite characters, um, Lee Scoresby and York Bernison, everyone's favorite polar bear. So let's get back into the world of dust. So we finally get it, this moment, right? And they couldn't have introduced Lin-Manuel Miranda's character, Lee Scoresby, any better by having him sing. Now, he wasn't singing Hamilton, and spoiler, I've never seen the musical because I don't believe in paying thousands of dollars for theater. I think it's actually corporate capitalism and it's just a ripoff. I think that theater should be inexpensive and accessible to the people because theater changed people's lives. But nevertheless, here we are. But Regardless, this character is everyone's favorite aeronaut. He travels around in an air balloon and is kind of like this Western-like figure who's always getting up into business and trouble. And we see him right away with his amazing demon named Hester, who's a bunny rabbit, so near and dear to my heart, if you know our artwork for the show. So... He is there, and of course he is singing, because why would you ever have Lin-Manuel Miranda on a show and not have him sing? And <clears throat> to say the least of the why this show is just, I think, really winning over viewers and people who are kind of searching for that Game of Thrones type show that has maybe more fantasy to it or a little bit more fantasy with reality, um, even though I'm still not over what game of thrones did to my danny in the final season but we'll talk about that maybe at a later day in a therapy session podcast episode but the world building in the show is just exquisite and some shows get it and they try to do it and then some shows really execute it to the best of the ability for what you have to do i mean 
the visuals in this show, the graphics, the ways in which you have to really build out this alternate universe are just incredible. I mean, when you watch the opening credits alone, I mean, you're just sitting there and you're just like, wow, you couldn't believe what you're actually seeing. And for all of those who have seen the film, um, you know, The Golden Compass, we were all a little bit triggered for how you know, it really kind of left us wanting more. It didn't really do that good of a job. It brushed over a lot of stuff. So we're finally getting it with a TV series, you know, done with the BBC and HBO, which just obviously spells and screams money, but they're doing a lot of great stuff. So the world building is just incredible. But Lee Scoresby is looking for his friend, Yorick Bernison, who has lost his armor and he's there to help him get him get it back. And one thing that you just love about Lee is not only his loyalty, but also his demon Hester, a rabbit. And in the movies, she kind of had this Dolly Parton, like Western cowboy accent, but here she's just like this old plain sass master and just constantly is throwing shade at Lee. And it's exactly the playful type character that you would expect from uh, Lee's demon. And it's just incredible. And Lee says, um, when they're talking about York, that he owes him trouble. And if you've seen the movies, you kind of know where this episode's about to get into because that's a debt he's going to pay in full. Um, we then flash to Lyra, who is on a boat, and they're approaching the northern town of Trollshund. And I'm like, got a lot of flashbacks to Game of Thrones where Arya in that one season finale is about to go become like the serial killer, like secret ninja assassin lady Arya. And she looks out from the boat at the top in the north and just kind of sees the new horizon before her. And so I got a little bit of a flashback like that. But if you've read the books or seen the movie, you know that we're moving at a really fast clip here. And the thing about the series is it's introducing plots from other books that allow it to be a little bit more fleshed out, right? And it's also introducing a way to finally see how the showrunners who have the material um, ahead of time, and yes, that is a little shade at you, George R.R. R. Martin, to really build the compelling story to make faithful readers know that they're respecting and taking um, care of the material that people fell in love with, but also trying to do a little bit more with it. And if you've been following this series for quite some time, you know that Philip Pullman is exploring Lyra's story more and the story of Dustmore. And it's a lot of dense stuff and he's continuing to write about it with a new series. So it's all connected and he's actually publishing the books and not sitting there and just collecting money from HBO with everything that he's doing. So let's be real here. Philip Pullman will wins in the George R. R. Martin game of actually getting out books to his readers. So little shade, but whatever. Um, so as we saw in the last episode, Lyra is really learning to trust herself and read this alethiometer, and she's really getting good at it. And what happens is, as Farter Coram is trying to get in touch with his ex-girlfriend, his ex, his ex-Kiki girl, Serafina Pekula, and every time they say the name, I'm like, Serafina Pekula, right? But he's trying to get her to help enlist her and the other witches to help get the children back. But first, he has to get a message to her, because obviously it's not that easy to get in touch with witches right now, right? But they go to this e intermediary man named Lancelius, and he's kind of like going to sound like a witch gram or something. But first, before he even does that, 
they have to get him to trust him. So Lancelot is like this like gossip girl of the North. So he knows that like Lyra has the alethiometer because in kind of the scenes you kind of see Lyra pulling it out, the alethiometer and like everyone kind of noticing it. And obviously they all went and told this dude. And then, you know, he is fully aware of like Lyra's power because she obviously has a very um, forbidden tool that's allowing her to do a lot. But before he'll even let them know um, if the witches would even help them or even send a message, he asks Lyra to help identify the spring of cloud pine, which is basically like a fancy word in this book for like a witch pager that belongs to Serafina um, in order to kind of like trust who she is and who they are and that they're their virtue is true and because Lyra is who she is um, she guesses right and she gets this little vial that she can use to call the witch queen whenever she is in trouble basically but she starts gaining this respect from people because she's able to they're able to understand that she actually is living up to the prophecy of maybe who um, she's meant to be in both this book as well as in the later books, but ultimately why people are so afraid of her and why Mrs. Coulter herself is ultimately out there searching for her. So um, we're really starting to see where Lyra comes into her own a lot more because she is starting to ask these questions without permission and kind of dance to the beat of her own drum. She's not afraid to question authority. She's not afraid to tell people like Farter Coram, you know, really what she feels and ask really probing questions and only the innocent way like children can do but she's starting to kind of build her own world because so many people have lied to her remember the baby mama and baby daddy reveal from the previous episodes well she's starting to understand that she needs to try to find a way to chart out her own path towards the truth and this is one thing that she's doing so she asks Lancelius what is the one thing they should be asking him but they haven't because she has this intuitive way of trying to find out more questions and answers than people are actually willing to give. And so this, of course, points us to the other half and pretty much the majority of this episode that we've been waiting for, everyone's favorite Coca-Cola bear, York Bernison. And basically, York has been... Um, lied to and banished, you know, into this town by the magisterium. And what happened was, is Yorick was drugged, basically, he was roofied. Um, and then he did a lot of violent and destructive things. And now he's kind of paying a blood debt to the magisterium, thinking that he did all this bad stuff wrong. And they stole his armor, which is like a, this demon to the polar bears. It's that equivalent. Um, and he really is kind of down on his luck. He drinks a lot and he's just walking around. Yes, polar bears are drunk and they're walking around this little town. Um, but one of the troubling things that we find out, I think, in this interaction with Lyra and, you know, this witch pager guy and Fardacorum is that everyone seems to know that the magisterium is stealing children and what they're exactly doing. And that's like truly fucked up right because if you are like myself or like marcy and activists or if you're if you've even if you've opened a newspaper in the last however many years you understand that the magisterium is key code in this series for like church or like maybe the catholic church in general and so 
the abuse of children, the abuse of the secrets that they're keeping and what they're actually doing to them is so reminiscent of the toxicity of the child pedophile, the child pedophilia that the Catholic church is still going through the sexual abuse of children and everything that was just held secret by so many people, especially those in power. Um, and it's really troubling because everyone in this world seems to know about it too, but they don't really know what to do because obviously the magisterium has so much power and that power is dangerous. And Lancelius calls it what's going on to these children, cutting. And if you've read the books, you kind of know what they're inferring to, but we're getting darker and darker in the materials that we're getting here. And I mean, not to use the title of the series and what we're talking about, but it is called His Dark Materials because we're really exploring some adult themes through the eyes of an innocent child. Um, but what I really have to say is that so much of this silence that people gave for when the Catholic Church too was hiding the system, systemic sexual abuse of children, you know, it was really triggering for people that may be watching this show. So I just want to give them a shout out and really talk about, you know, we're here for you, we love you, and that any type of abuse of power like this is not welcome. And that is why we must destroy, you know, and topple the corporate systemic patriarchy here in the real world, but also why we are egging on and rooting for Lyra to destroy the magisterium the entire time. So the graphics in these fantasy series are just getting so much better, like with every new show that comes out. And much like with Game of Thrones and what they do with the direwolves and specifically the dragons and how they shot it, we're finally being able to get serious detail like that's so vivid and how much work they actually put into a main character like Yorick Bernison because he is such a major character. I mean, within the first book itself, I mean, he is such a major figure that the work and all the stuff that he is doing with Lyra and pushing the story forward and then later on, obviously, you can't just kind of have like this really bad CGI type polar bear that's out there. So you just have to make sure that you spend the money is on the type of development and I'm so glad to see it being paid off. If you've been like on Twitter or Facebook and you've been watching and kind of following Lynn Manuel Miranda's page or like his dark materials or their fan accounts, you can see kind of how they shot it kind of like with what they did with Game of Thrones with the dragons with how Danny would actually ride like a, you know, a fake dragon and how they would map it out and then add in the graphics later. They're doing that with York. So it's, it's just really good because they're actually putting in the money. Okay, Mrs. Coulter is probably my favorite character in this entire show. I, I stand Mrs. Coulter. Her outfits are what I have come to these episodes for. Like, I'm here for them. And this red outfit is fierce as fuck. And it is so emblematic of, like, the Eve vibes that she is giving in this magisterium, like, room that she gets into and like with this magisterium power with all these other men in charge who are clearly scared of her or like hate her this red power outfit she walks in and she is the hbic but that's because she always stays one step ahead of these fools right um so she is just giving me all these types of eve vibes but lord boreal and fra pavel who is, uh, you know, apparently like this really sick fuck. So to talk about the ways in which the Catholic Church hid, you know, pedophilic 
priests, you know, apparently the magisterium is doing it with their one alethiometer reading, motherfucker, pedophile, Fra Pavel. Um, and he's, because he's the only one that can read the magisterium's alethiometer, which remember, they have all the alethiometers in this world, and that's why Lyra having one is such a big deal. But um, basically, they're there to like, you know, pull a fast one on Mrs. Coulter and say they're taking her away from the ablation board because of all the shit that just went down in the previous episodes. And she's like, wait a minute, <laughs> don't think so, because blah, 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 and I have Lord Asriel, and I know he is what you really want, and that's really not going to happen. And then she starts making the demands, and then she obviously wins in the end and puts all these little impotent men to shame. I mean, I know she's evil, but God. Praise, girl, praise. And so um, Mrs. Coulter asks one favor of the magisterium, and it's to ask the alethiometer who Lyra is. Because she knows who Lyra is. Obviously, she's her child. But she wants to know more about the prophecy and the one thing that gives Mrs. Coulter knowledge and power over everyone is that she is able to always remain one step ahead of them and this kind of goes back to my eve reference right she grabbed and from the tree of knowledge and ate um because she was curious and knowledge came into the world and mrs coulter is not afraid to have that knowledge and use it as a weapon and she is always one step ahead of these you know pedophile men who are just part of this church hierarchy and they're just like so stupid but she's the one that's actually in control and doing all this evil stuff so we can't discount that because obviously she's you know complicit in it but in understanding the ways in which she too is part of propping up the you know hegemony that she's part of and you know the patriarchy and every horrible thing that's coming before lyra and the egyptians and what's going on but also how she too is a victim of it um because these men if they had the opportunity to like they think they do in this scene are going to come for her and hurt her in any way possible so you know, what we think is about to be a smackdown of HBIC Coulter is actually just her turning the table on all of them and saying that she's got ex, her ex-baby daddy, Azrael, and the bears of the North have him, and they answer to her. And the bears of the North are very powerful. They're very scary. They lived up there. The Magisterium has been trying to get a better control and grasp, grasp of power in the North, and they haven't been able to. So... You know, by having control over the bear, she still is one step ahead of the magisterium. And she's not afraid to use that power and use Azrael and what he means to them to get it. Um, she knows what she wants and she is not afraid to get it at all. However, then we go back to the north and we finally get a little backstory of Fartercorum and Seraphina Pecula. And basically, what it comes down to is that. They were in love, they had a child, and that child died. And whereas he wanted to console himself and have grief, um, she wanted to go to war and fight back death to get the child back. Um, and that really tore them apart. It really gets into a discussion of grief and what grief and pain does to people in understanding the ways in which, you know, a child and the death of a child oftentimes te tears marriages apart or it can make people stronger um but in the end um 
you know, they grew apart and they are now trying to come back together for the fight for missing children. And because Florida Quorum knows how important Serafina is to the overall fight because she is the witch queen. Um, actually though, in the end, the whole main story of this episode that everyone is really here for is everyone is looking for York because the Egyptians will need him for the journey north and Lee needs to save his friend. And we get some amazing scenes of York just walking around being woe is me and very like, you know, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh because, you know, he's drunk or he's sad because he lost his armor, but he was tricked and he was um, deceived by the magisterium. And that's not, I would never piss off a polar bear in general, but pissing off a polar bear that talks, ooh. Ooh, girl but some of the scenes that are in this episode are just truly stunning because they're right from the page and as a book reader you're just really obsessed with the dialogue that they've created around building the connections for these characters you can totally tell that there's a whole backstory between lee and yorick um and why that's so important why lee has his back but then ultimately the scenes between lyra and yorick are just so beautifully and shot so well that it just really makes you feel for the characters even if it's a polar bear and a little girl it's pretty cool right um so then um what happens is is we understand and find out that seraphina has agreed to see farter quorum and that she's going to fight with him um, but we also learn that some of the witch clans too have been helping the magisterium to learn more about dust because dust is like you know the catnip of this world everyone wants to know more about it because it allows you to have control to these other worlds, to, to power, to everything that the magisterium fears and the witches wanna take that down. But that does also mean that the witches, some witch clans are complicit with the abuse of children. It's pretty scary and sad because in the movie, as if you remember the movie, the witches, they didn't talk about that. They thought all the witches were on the side, but they weren't. Um, but you know, when dust is involved, hey, I guess allegiances are formed. But what we get here is some beautiful scenes where one that this is truly stunning is whereas Lyra is able to see the city in the Northern Lights while she's sitting in the boat. Um, and this is because we're learning that Lyra is able to see things that others cannot. And this is also, you know, uh, a shout out to the non-American name of this first book because it's actually titled Northern Lights. And then it was renamed the Golden Compass in America. So we really start to understand and see how special Lyra is and why it makes total sense why the magisterium would want to get her, why they would want to control her and why ultimately she's such a threat. And, but this ultimately is why, you know, maybe Mrs. Coulter wants her and why she's so special. Um, and the scene where the Northern Lights just makes you like want to get on a cruise and go to Alaska and just see the Northern Lights because it's truly stunning. Um, but we start to get more clues that they are keeping the children in this way north place called Ballbanger, um, which actually translates to Field of Evil. And that is where they must go. But first, they cannot go there without their VIP, uh, their HBIC themselves, everyone's favorite Coca-Cola bear, York Bernison. And what's next really comes down to a lot of scenes where we see Lee trying to reason with his friend that it, you know, what happened to him isn't his fault. Him trying to barter with the head of the town up there to get his armor back and what we get is some fun legal maneuvering. Um, but, you know, Lee is really there trying to help him. And then 
ultimately the one who seals the deal in the end is Lyra. Um, and she not only seals the deal, she also steals all of Lee's bacon in that one scene, right? That was also like really good bacon, by the way. Um, but Lyra is able to help York find his armor, but you know, kind of not tricks him, but makes him promise not to kill anyone as a result of finding out, saying that they have to provoke you first and that you can become a different bear, you can become a better bear, um, and that you don't have to, you know, hurt anyone. And York runs off over to the church where they're keeping his armor and he gets his armor back and like this impressive scene that if you kind of watch some of the behind the scenes ways in which they recorded it you can really see how much work they put into it but um he we finally learn there that the magisterium drugged him and tricked him and that the shame that he's been feeling was not needed because ultimately it wasn't his fault but that's the ways in which the magisterium will go to control all this power that they have and why it's so important that lyra and all the work that they're doing to uncover the truth about the children that obviously the magisterium is behind stops um because now what we have is the egyptians where the coca-cola bear uh is now geared up and ready to really fuck some shit up um but not before um and this is my favorite scene of the whole episode um hbic herself mrs coulter comes in with like the most fabulous fur hat to meet this new bear, to meet the new bear king, Yorfar Rankinson, um, in this remote, remote cave up north where they're holding Azrael. Remember, if you remember, she said to the Magisterium, you know, those sick fucks in that earlier episode, earlier scene, that she kept him um, and she had him and the polar bear king had him. And so um, we learn that. You know, Coulter's actually behind a lot of the transitions of power within the polar bears and that the reason why York, who's actually supposed to be on the throne, lost the throne to Yofar uh, is because of her. And we find out that he isn't, you know, actually supposed to be there. It should have been York the entire time, but Coulter's always one step ahead of people. Um, but... This time we see that the new polar bear king is not giving up uh, her ex-baby daddy because he understands how important uh, he is to her. However, being Mrs. Coulter herself in that fabulous fur hat, um, she offers him a baptism into the world of the magisterium. And this would be the first of any Panzerborn, which is basically like the fancy word for like, you know, the, the elite line of polar bear princes in the books, um, that he could be the first polar bear to become baptized and allowed into the magisterium. And that would really cement his power because York is obviously still a threat to him. And we'll see more on that in the upcoming episodes and really what happens between them. Um, and as a result of that offer, Mrs. Coulter has a deal and she gets what she wants and we're out with another episode of His Dark Materials. Um, the episodes are getting much more complex. The characters who are far away are starting to come together a little bit more and we're getting deeper and deeper into the books and we're going to learn very quickly a lot more of the pieces that lead to probably season one's finale as well as the books. And I hope a lot of people are ready. Uh, the books are called His Dark Materials for a reason. And we get into some pretty serious themes about death, sacrifice, doubt, um, 
the soul, what adults do to versus what children will do when given a difficult situation. And so we're really in for a really exciting, fun, long ride of craziness, of fabulous graphics, of more hopefully uh, Lee singing, of Lyra riding York Bernison in the North. The next episode, if you've seen the preview, is going to reveal a lot. Um, but we've got a lot for to look forward to and a lot that's coming up. And so make sure you leave a review, you subscribe, and you follow us on all the social media. We'll be back next week with a recap of the episode five titled The Lost Boy. And we're looking at a series of eight episodes here. So that means we're more than halfway done. So gird your loins, people. It's about to get dark. See you next week.